I'd like to say, first of all, thank you uh, to Wally and Lauren for being here the last couple of weeks and uh, preaching. Uh, both uh, were able to do whatever they wanted to do and both chose to, do, to preach on David uh, to kind of continue in this series. Uh, really, we've been learning a lot about David, haven't we, uh, throughout the weeks. There are times, I don't know about you, but I wonder why God would have chose David, right? And there are other times when we see David following God's heart like no other. And when I think about it, we're all a lot like this, aren't we? There are times in our lives when we're diligently seeking God, and there are other times when we are distant from Him. Now, in today's story, we come to another David roller coaster ride. So let me invite you to find a Bible and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to be in this chapter today, and even in this one chapter, we're going to see lots of ups and downs here in David's life. Now, at this point in time, David is king in the city of David in Jerusalem. And you might remember he secured the city and is now ruling all of Israel from the city. And this is where we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, before we dive into this text, let me give you just a little bit of background about the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we're not talking about a big boat, okay? We're talking about a four and a half foot box that was built with God's instructions. Now, in our, our stained glass window on the north side of the building, the final one, if you look up there, you'll see an image of the Ark of the Covenant. That's kind of what it looked like. The Ark held holy objects like the Ten Commandments and a golden jar with manna from the wilderness, Aaron's rod. And it was seen as a place of God's presence by the people of God. Now, it's a small piece of furniture, but it would have been very heavy because it was made of gold. And it would have been somewhat top-heavy because it had all of these gold sort of statues on the top of it. Now, we have to understand also that in David's time, God was viewed a little bit differently than he's viewed today. Now, most of us today understand that we can talk to God, we can pray to God wherever we are, right? We can be on a walk, we can be out in the woods, we can be in church, and all of those places we can pray to God. But in David's time, people understood that God's presence dwelt with the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. And so you would go to this place, the tabernacle, then the temple, to worship God. And a key piece of furniture in the temple was this Ark of the Covenant. Now, believe it or not, the enemy had carted off the Ark. It was a big deal for the people of God. In many ways, they felt like they had lost the presence of God when they lost the Ark. The Ark was important. And it was a place, it was understood in this day and time, where God's presence dwelt. Now, Moses was the one who was given instructions on how to build the ark. He was to make it portable, because you might remember the people of God were traveling through the wilderness, so they needed to take the ark with them. And he gave them very uh, specific instructions on how to transport the ark. Now, David is king. He settled in Jerusalem. He realizes that the ark is not in Jerusalem, and he wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. That's what our story is about today. So David gets together 30,000 men to bring the ark into the city. Oh, by the way, I I don't think I covered this, but the Israelites had secured the ark back from the Philistines. I don't think I said that. So the Philistines had it, now the Philistines, now now Israel has it back. And we read here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name. 
and the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. Now, it seems like a lot of men to bring in a small piece of furniture, doesn't it? But David sees it as a big deal. He's getting everybody together to bring this ark back into Jerusalem. A large crowd is heading out to get the ark for David. Notice how they're transporting the ark, verse 3. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. Now, this might not seem like a big deal. If you're reading this story for the first time, you might be thinking, oh, that seems like a good enough way to transport the ark, right? Have a cart. And you might also notice that it's described as a new cart, which probably means that it's ceremonially clean. So they've taken time to construct a cart, to put it together, to make sure that it had not been used for any sort of unholy purpose. And they placed the ark on the cart. Now, here's the problem. This is not how God had instructed them to do it. God's command was that the ark should be carried by the Levites using poles through rings on the side of the ark. And the instructions are back in Exodus chapter 25. It says, insert the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. And in every case where we see the ark transported by the people of God, this is how they're doing it. But David is an expedient kind of man, isn't he? And this is where he goes wrong. David figures that the cart is a quicker way to bring the ark than people carrying it. Look at verse 5 with me. David and all, the Isra- and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. So they're dancing, they're celebrating, they're happy to have the ark coming into the city of David. This is a new era, right? A new king. And this new king is making worship central to the people. You would think that God would be pleased with this, right? I mean, who cares about a few details? Is God concerned with minor matters like how the ark is transported? Let's keep reading verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Wow, right? I mean, everything looked like it was going good, right? And and then the ark falls, and this guy tries to stop it. I mean, what's he supposed to do, right? Let it fall? Let it break? But the fact is that he would have never been placed in that situation if they would have done what they were supposed to do. You see, David figured that he got most of it right. He thought that God would let the little things slide. David was more concerned with efficiency and less concerned with obedience. David got the, the, the horse before the, or the cart before the horse, right? No pun intended. And Uzzah lost his life to prove a point. Look at the response here in verse 8. Then David was angry because, of the Lord, because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez, Uzzah. And the word for anger here is the word chara in Hebrew. It literally means to burn. You see, David is not just ticked off at God. He is furious at God. It's not a calm discontent, but it's an all-out temper flare. David is angry with God. He doesn't understand. Don't you love David's honesty? David's, his, his response is raw here, isn't it? It's real. 
Certainly he's a man after God's own heart, but he's also angry with God. He's anything but perfect. Have you ever been angry with God? God can take it, right? And in some ways, you have to respect David's honesty here. But this doesn't change the fact that God is not pleased with David. God does care about the details. He's letting David know that efficiency and expediency should not come before obedience. In the next few verses, we see David kind of breaking away from God here. Look at verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. For three months, we read in verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. This period of time, this three-month period of time, David is upset with God. He doesn't want the ark with him. He puts it in a different place. And you have to wonder, there are seasons like that in your life and my life, right? Where we're just kind of angry with God. We're, we're not ready to deal with those things. And, and look at what happens next. David is described in this period. I just want to land here for just a moment. He's described as being afraid. Now, it took some time to look at other, scripture, other scriptures where this Hebrew word afraid is used. And I think it sheds light on David's spiritual posture at this point in his life. In fact, that word afraid is the same word that describes the emotions of Adam and Eve after they sinned. It's also the same word that describes the emotions of Abraham and Sarah at low points in their life. You see, it's not an appropriate place to be with God, to be afraid of God. It's not how God wants us to relate to Him. And when this emotion is part of our thinking, we often make poor decisions. In fact, we see over and over again, the Scripture tells us, do not be afraid. In fact, 69 times in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid. And yet David is afraid at this point in his life. He's angry and afraid. Maybe this morning you would be in a place like this. Maybe you're sitting here this morning as, I, as I'm talking, you're thinking, this is where I am. I'm angry with God. I'm upset with God. Or I'm afraid of God. I'm not sure what God might do because of David's fear. He misses out on the blessing of God here. David hears reports from Obed-Edom's house. Look at verse 12 with me. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So nobody was killed at Obed-Edom's house, right? God is not an anger-filled God looking to strike people dead. God is not vindictive just waiting for us to mess up. God does not want us cowering in fear. He wants us to live in relationship with Him. Now certainly there's an appropriate level of awe and reverence that's necessary. But God desires ultimately to bless us, to be present with us. And this is what he's doing at Obed-Edom's house. And David at the same time is wrestling with fear and anger... And he's missing out and he decides things need to change. Look at verse 12. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Now you're probably asking the question, did he do it right this time, right? 2 Samuel does not give us all the details. 
I'm going to be reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 15, which is a parallel passage, and it does give us a little more insight into how it works out this time. 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2 says this, Then David said, Let no one but the Levites, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. You see his different posture here? David's paying attention this time, isn't he? And then in verse 3, David assembled all Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared for it. He called together the descendants of Aaron and, and the Levites. It goes on to list all of the Levites involved. You see, David is following God's instructions this time. In fact, David goes to extraordinary measures to make sure he's doing it right. He's learned that God is more concerned with obedience and less concerned with efficiency. You might be asking, why is God so concerned with poles and ringlets? You see, we learn from this story that God is concerned about the details of our lives. Many times we don't pay attention to God's way of living. And we think, well, as long as I get it mostly right, that's okay, right? But God is concerned about the details. God didn't go to the trouble to give us instructions that we would follow halfway. Look at how careful David is. Look at verse 13 with me back in 2 Samuel chapter 6. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. That must have taken a long time to move the ark this way, don't you think? David, though, is no longer concerned with expediency. He just wants to please God. And we can learn from this, right? God is not concerned with speed, efficiency, moving fast. In fact, if we want to please God, we will likely have to move a lot slower. One, two, three, four, five, six steps. Sacrifice. Let's do it again. One, two, three, four, five, six sacrifice again see that that pattern that posture it's slow it's thinking about God it's paying attention to what God is doing it's not getting carried away with ourselves we're thinking about what God wants how God is leading that God is the one in charge that's how God wants us to operate and that's how they bring the ark into Jerusalem look at verse 14 with me wearing a linen ephod David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, notice what David's wearing here. He's wearing an ephod. Now, what's an ephod, you might ask? An ephod is a priestly garment. The ephod is about discerning. It's about seeking God. It's about doing what God wants. You see, David's anger has subsided, and he's learned what it means to walk with God. He's celebrating and dancing, sure, but he's doing it in a different sort of posture than he did the first time. The trumpets are playing. It must have been quite a scene. The celebration doesn't stop at the parade. It expands into the entire kingdom. Now, I won't read every verse here, but if you look at verses 17 through 19, we see David providing bread and cakes to everyone in the crowd. This is a sort of gifting that would have been extravagant in this day and time. It would have marked this occasion as a significant event. If we go back to verse 16 and verses 20 and following, we see another plot line running through the story. We get a glimpse of David's wife, Michal. Look at verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, 
She despised him in her heart. Now you might be wondering, what's going on here? Why is she upset? Why is it such a big deal that David is dancing? And why is she angry about that? The later comments suggest that David is exposing himself. Now we know he's wearing a linen ephod here. It would have provided sufficient coverage, but if he's dancing around, maybe he is exposing himself in some way. But it seems that the real deal here is that Michael, or Mikael, is more jealous because David is exuberant in his love for God. Look at how she welcomes him home. Look at verse 20 with me of chapter 6. When David returned home to bless his household, Mikael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Notice how she's referenced here. She's referenced as what? Daughter of Saul. You see, I think the author is pointing out here that he wants us to understand that she's a lot like her father. She doesn't have the same heart for God that David has. David responds in verse 21, David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from this house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord, he says. I will celebrate before the Lord. See, David knows that God has provided for him. He continues in verse 22. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Here in these verses, we can see the heart of David, can't we? We can see that he's not concerned about how he looks. He's more concerned with his heart for God. And again, David's been through this season of not doing it right and then being angry with God. And now he's coming out ready to praise God, ready to walk with God, ready to do whatever he needs to do to be in right standing with God. I only care what God thinks about me, David tells his wife. And look at how the chapter closes in verse 22 and 23. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children till the, to the day of her death. You see, there seems to be a rift here between David and Michal. What a story, right? It's entertaining, isn't it? And I think as we read this story, we should pause for just a moment. We should pause and look at our cultural values of fast, efficient, quick, Right? And we should say it's not, that's not how it is when it comes to walking with God. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what we lose in the process. May we find ourselves, like David, lost in the worship of the one who gave everything for us. Willing to submit to his ways. Saying, God, whatever you want, whatever way you choose, it's all about you. What might God be saying to us? through the story this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for another wonderful story in the life of David. One that exposes David's heart. One that forgets to follow your commands, as we often do. One that is angry with you and afraid of you at one point, but in the end is submitted to you. And God, no matter where we are in this story, where we find ourselves in this story... Maybe we're forgetful. Maybe we're not paying attention to you, God. Maybe we're angry with you. Maybe we're afraid of you. God, bring us to a place where we can see you, where we can worship you, where it's not about how much we get done and how quick we do it, but God, it's about falling at your feet 
and being with you, hearing you, listening to your voice. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.